You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. This is Locked On Hornets, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, local experts on the number one daily sports podcast network. Check us out all on Twitter, at Walker Mail, at Nod of the Scribe, and at Doug Branson, LOH. You can find the show handle on most social media platforms as well, at Locked On Hornets. And also, you can look at our guest on Twitter, at Rick underscore Benell. He's of the Charlotte Observer. He joins us every single Tuesday. Rick, thanks for joining us once again. How are you? Sure thing. Happy holidays. Thanks so much, Rick. Happy holidays to you. And just looking at the Charlotte Hornets, as they get back to 500, they went on a three-game losing streak, but they win a couple in a row to find themselves back at 500. And it's interesting, Rick, when you look at just this situation. I know we were discussing whether they would be sellers or not. What would have to happen to you in order to determine whether the Hornets would be buyers or sellers? Well, you know, I don't think it's contrived at all to place an awful lot of importance on the rest of this month. And what I mean by that is, you know, they play the longest homestand of the season starting Wednesday against Detroit. They play five consecutive games in Spectrum Center. Um, uh, They also play um, two more home games the rest of the month. So, you know, when you think about it, you know, they are they're more than half of their home entire home schedule is going to be completed by January first. Um, that when you consider they're only four and eight on the road, that says an awful lot. They need to make hay right you know, the rest of this month. And if they don't, I don't want to make too much out of this, but I do think it would, you know, to some degree affect how the front office would view the rest of the season. Um People ask me all the time, and I understand it, it's more of a baseball um, term than a, than a basketball term, but there is an element of buyers versus sellers at the NBA trade deadline, which is February 7th, by the way. It's before the All-Star weekend here in Charlotte. Um, if they if they had a, a really bad record at the end of January, I would wonder, for instance, whether that would be a motivator for Mitch Kupchak to spend – you know, some some time trying to to gauge the uh, the trade value of, for instance, Jeremy Lamb or Frank Kaminsky, who are going to be free agents. Um, I would think that if they feel good about their playoff chances, that would be a significant disincentive to uh, to trade anybody, um, you know, any player on this team for a um, for a future pick. The reverse of that is that, remember, they have an open roster spot. So they, it, it, what I'm saying is it would be easier for them than most teams to trade, a say, a future second-round pick for a, a veteran to, to help in the, in the um, second half of the season. The only problem with that is that they are only about $3.5 million below that luxury tax line. And we know that you know Michael Jordan has never has never ducked to the issue that he does not see you know good business logic in being a taxpayer 
for a mediocre team, and I think that's really important. Yeah, and I, I think I would agree with that as well. And Rick, you bring up the All Star Game, and it just it's been a discussion because the All Star Game is coming to Charlotte. Whether Charlotte would be buyers at the trade deadline, and even surrounding the discussion of what you do with Kemba Walker, how how important is the All Star Game to to the decision that the Charlotte Hornets might make? Is that getting overplayed, Rick, or does it have any effect to you on what Michael Jordan and the Hornets might do? I think uh, I, I'm always surprised when that when that uh, narrative comes up on Sports Talk Radio in Charlotte because uh, I mean, first of all, I think that there is virtually zero chance of the Hornets trading Kemba Walker before the trade deadline. Having said that, I also do not believe that the All Star Game being here would play any role whatsoever in whether they would consider trading Kemba by February 7th. My, my point is, these are way too consequential um, decisions to worry about whether or not the Hornets have a representative in the All-Star game. If there was a compelling reason to trade Kemba on February 7th, and I do not believe that will be the case, let me reemphasize that, I don't think that the fact that 10 days later the All-Star weekend is here would play any role in that decision whatsoever. Rick Bennell of the Charlotte Observer joining us here on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. Rick, as we discuss just the season as it's gone on now and what would have to happen as far as the buyers and sellers discussion goes, how much do you think James Borrego, head coach going forward, will balance trying to win games versus trying to develop some of the young talent that he has on the roster? Well, you know, if he's consistent with what he said at the beginning of the season, little or none, um, he said that he is in the business of trying to win every game. I certainly think that that is how he is coached. I certainly think that is how he will continue to coach if they have a chance to make the playoffs. The only way that I see that changing is if they genuinely get into a situation where they are at you know no better than mathematically um, in contention for a playoff spot. And you know, frankly, as bad as the East is. You know, it, it, it's going to be kind of hard not to be for them to be in playoff contention. Uh, the other side of that is how much more would they play um, Miles Bridges or Devontae Graham than they already have? I mean, one of the things that I think is very, very interesting about the Borrego's approach to the bench, something that, frankly, I've never seen before in 30 years of covering the NBA, is, you know, there is nobody on guaranteed contract who he has been reluctant to use. Uh, I think Devon, you know, him throwing um, Devani into the you know pressure situations he's in, he's played in, and the fact that Miles has not just played but has played in multiple positions. I think it shows he has a lot of confidence treating them like veterans already. So, you know, um, I think where this could hypothetically change, if we're talking about, say, the last 20 or 30 games of a bad season, is it wouldn't shock me, for instance, if you saw Dwayne Bacon's um, minutes go up significantly, um, more as an effort to, you know, to get him experience than anything else, but... You know, honestly, Walker, um, I think that he has already 
um, used the, the, the young guys a lot, and I don't think that, that anything would change dramatically in that regard. Well, and Rick, I talked about this last week about not sacrificing losses to develop some of the younger players that they have, and you're not doing that because Miles Bridges is playing a lot, but we did hit a stretch where Malik Monk was just in such a brutal slump where he wasn't playing. There was that three-game stretch where he had six minutes, eight minutes, I think ten minutes on a three-game stretch, and he continued to not shoot all that well. He's bounced back a little bit here. Uh, Still not great field goal percentage, but has bounced back a little bit, so maybe coming out of it. But is that how you saw it, that you do have a lot of these younger guys playing? But Malik Monk was the test, I thought, that would be interesting. Is he going to force Malik Monk out there on the court, or is he just going to sit him? And, and And it looks like he chose to sit him in trying to win games right here, right now. Well, the thing that I would add to what you said is I don't think that that was just about his shooting slump. Uh, I think it was really interesting that Borrego went out of his way to say that Malik needs to play more consistent defense to get more consistent minutes. That's been an issue, obviously, from when he got here. Um, I don't think he was asked to play a whole lot of defense that year in Kentucky, and I think it's been a difficult adjustment for him to figure out what they need from him defensively. At a position where you can't, it's very hard to, it's very hard to hide somebody defensively when they're a shooting guard in the NBA. Um, I think that, I I guess I, I just view how he has managed Malik this season as holding him accountable for performance. And I think it's really important that that message gets through, uh, that, that minutes are not a given. It was interesting the other day, um, this didn't have anything to do with uh, the Hornets. It was a question that Borrego got from a, from a New York reporter in regard to how his friend, you know, David Fisdale is, is managing a bad Knicks team. But somebody asked him, you know, do you believe in the idea of making young players earn their minutes or do you think you need to play, or help them, let them play through mistakes? And JB said in response to that that um, he has seen it work both ways, but that he is reluctant to play young guys just to play them. And I think that what he was saying in a diplomatic way was, you know, if you, if you don't show me something, I'm not going to let you keep repeating mistakes and get away with it. Rick Bennell of the Charlotte Observer joining us here on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. And Rick, final thing before we get you out of here, Muggsy Bogues and Larry Johnson are going to be in attendance here at the end of this week for the Charlotte Hornets. And Muggsy Bogues, obviously a beloved guy. You see his number one jersey worn everywhere. And Larry Johnson had such a great effect on the culture surrounding the Charlotte Hornets. Just what are some of your most fond memories of those two guys? Of course, such pillars in the Charlotte Hornets legacy that has been here in the franchise since they've been a, uh, since they've been in existence. You know, Alan Bristow started out in the organization as, as uh, general manager and ended up coaching the team. And, you know, Alan made, I thought, some really interesting um, observations on those guys that held up over time. He said two things about Muggsy that I think were incredibly insightful. One, he said that there will be another Larry Bird before that there is a, another Muggsy Bogues, and I think he was right about that. I mean, you know, we, we've seen Dirk Nowitzki. We have, you know, we have not seen, unless you count. You know, like like Isaiah Thomas, I don't think we've ever seen a player since Muggsy who's who's really all that much like Muggsy. The other thing that Alan said that relates, you know, to Muggsy's relationship with not just Larry but also with Zoe, is when they had it really going in the you know you know in, you know in the early years. One day, Alan said to me, he pointed at Muggsy and he said, you know, he said Larry and Zoe think they eat from his hand. 
And that just, I thought, had a really interesting, you know, we've all been to petting zoos when we were kids <laughs> and watched fawns walk up and, you know, and, and you know, how, how, you know, you know, how, how they, they feel so, you, know, you feel this attachment to, uh, to, to, and that was literally the way that Ellen felt that as great, these great players, Larry Johnson and Alonzo Mourning, they thought that their, their livelihoods, their, their, you know, their, their effectiveness was so totally attached to Muggsy's ability to organize and get them easy shots. I just thought that that was a, a great way of putting what Muggsy's value was to those teams. Awesome stuff from Rick Bennell, again, of the Charlotte Observer. You can catch all of his stuff on his handle on Twitter, at Rick underscore Bennell. Rick, thanks for joining us, as you always do. We appreciate it. Sure thing. Have a good day. Thanks again, Rick. We'll talk to you next Tuesday again. You can catch all of his stuff on Twitter at Rick underscore Bennell. And we appreciate Rick for joining us as he does every single Tuesday. And we will welcome back Nada after the break to provide some of his hot Charlotte Hornets takes. He's been filled with takes. He can't get them out anywhere. He hadn't been on the show. He was suspended last week. He was snowed in yesterday. But now he's back. Today's show is sponsored by Action Heat. Action Heat makes the world's best battery-heated clothing. Heat on demand at the touch of a button. And it is perfect for any friend or family on your holiday gift list. Great for anyone who works outdoors, skiers, snowboarders, or anybody that hates being cold. Action Heat apparel includes heated jackets, socks, gloves, hats, and even undergarments like heated base layer shirts and long johns. Make winter activities more enjoyable with a blast of warmth. Action Heat is the perfect solution to keep you toasty and warm, even in the most frigid winter weather. They have heated clothes for every budget, starting at just $40. We've got a special deal for our listeners to save 20% off your entire order. Just go to actionheat.com slash locked on to check out everything Action Heat has to offer. That's actionheat.com slash locked on, or use the coupon code locked on, all one word, at checkout to save 20%. Stay toasty warm while you enjoy all your outdoor activities this winter with Action Heat, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. Not a takes up next. It's the Locked On Hornets podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. This is Locked On Hornets. I can't tell you on wax. I will explain. <laughs> you got your sources? I have. Can you explain what on wax means? I can't tell you on wax right now. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Welcome back to the Locked on Hornets podcast. It's the man you've been waiting for all week long and even a day. He's back from suspension. It's Nada Edwards on the Locked on Hornets podcast. Nada, what's up, man? You you might be more excited than everybody else is to hear my takes right now. You, like you might be the most excited person here. I might be. I know Doug is excited. I know Doug is excited that you have an outlet to give your takes now because he said that it was all him hearing your Hornets takes over the past week or so since you've been off of the. What pod. Hornets takes? I've been so busy busy focused on work. <laughs> that was the thing. Like, I could picture you spewing your takes with nowhere no microphone to spit them into. So just I have a putting Twitter them off account. on Doug. That is true. You do have a Twitter account. I think everybody knows where to find Nada on Twitter yes. at Nada the Scribe for all of his Hornets takes. So a lot has happened since you've been gone. A yes. couple losses, but also a couple of victories that you saw over the weekend. Friday, they did beat the Denver Nuggets. They did. And they did beat the New York Knicks on Sunday. So they're back to 500. And just discussing some of the stuff there with Rick, did anything stick out to you in some of his comments that he had in that interview? Some, some of the things that did kind of stick out initially was the whole development versus like the whole nature nurture of 
NBA development pretty much. And that was one thing that stuck out to me because I thought Malik should have gotten more time. You should stick with Malik. And even when he was playing badly, though, even when he bit. was playing badly, because he seems to be a guy that like he's going to be streaky. And for a young kid to be streaky, like, again, how reliable were you at 20 years old? Think about that for a second. I was not very reliable. I'm not very <laughs> reliable at 35. So you know what? I, I might be the worst person to use in this analogy, but you're going to have to ride with him with these streaks sometimes. And sometimes it's going to work. Sometimes it's not going to work. The other thing, and this is something I was holding on to for a little bit. At some point, we may have to have that discussion. And I was thinking about it, like in the midst of that, those first two games, because as I told you off the off uh, off air, I was about to come on here if they had lost the Knicks game and maybe if they lost the Denver game and said, we might need to have an honest conversation about getting rid of Kemba Walker. Oh, you were pressing the panic button if they would have lost too. Yeah, no, I, I would have lost those two. I, I, quite frankly, I was ready to have that discussion <laughs> because at some point, like if you're not going to make the playoffs and that December 15th window where every contract can be traded, I thought that that was going to be the perfect time to at least have start having that discussion because as I've been saying for a little bit now, and Rick kind of echoed that in his interview with you, nuclear fire is coming in terms of that road schedule. And if they're four and eight on the road as is now, why are we assuming that it was going to get better? However, however, that Denver game showed me a little bit of something. The other thing, though, and I think this is something else we talked about off air and I want to share with the rest of the folks. At what point do we start seeing Tony Parker as being the second best closing option as a problem? Because that's not sustainable. They need something sustainable. And that's got to come in the form of either Jeremy Lamb or they have to, it has to come in the form of someone else other than Tony Parker. Because if Tony Parker is going to be your second closing option, how many games are you realistically going to win that way? And that's something that concerns me going forward. Yeah, so let me go down your takes just one by one. The okay. first one with Malik Monk. I had a problem with Steve Clifford holding off a little too long last season at yes. the end of that season on playing Malik Monk. I thought Malik Monk should have got some time when it looked like the Hornets were going to be out of the playoffs. We realized it a little bit more. And I understand Steve Clifford is coaching for his job at that point. Yes. So you do have to consider that. Mm -hmm. Still, at the best interest of the future for the Hornets, I would have liked to have seen him then. I don't have any problem with the way that James Borrego handled Malik Monk in this situation. Defensively, he was not good. Offensively, he continued to struggle from the field and I, at some point you have to be responsible for your play out there and yes. and they were being they were okay like I know Malik Monk needs to step it up but in a couple of those stretches in that three-game stretch that I've referenced a few times they did beat Atlanta they lost to Utah and they lost to New Orleans but I don't think it was because Malik was on the bench there were some other problems that you had there going to Kimba and whether we should have assessed when we trade him, right? So it's almost kind of the question of what things have to happen before we do have that very real conversation, even though I think it is real right now. Yes. What has to happen in order for you to pull the trigger on Kimba? I think it would have to be a little bit more of a drop than the two games that they would have lost, but that would be a five-game losing streak. Five-game losing streak, I, and then that, that's I think that was where I'm at. 
so five if, games would have been the time where I'm like, okay, we need to have this conversation. That would have been four games below 500 at that point. True. That would have been four games below 500. I think I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of a demise in order for us to pull the trigger on Kimba, but I'm not even hating you on that. It's it's touchy because you have a roster that even James Borrego said himself, they need to be perfect if they're going to win in this league. That's a high bar to set for a team to be perfect. That's an impossible bar. It is an impossible bar, but they have played a lot better of late. That Denver Nuggets win, that's such a big victory for them. That's a big victory in more ways than one because it shows that you can win on defense. And I'm not sure that this group of guys knew that, yes, you can, in fact, win on defense. That MKG block down the stretch is the biggest player of that game and that wasn't a guy that made a shot that was a guy that made a hell of a block on a chase down I think it shows you how important Marvin is to this team too especially when he's hitting shots we all went through the atrocious shots that he put up in the month of October but Marvin has been a lot better and defensively I think he's been better and MKG defensively continues to be an absolute beast on that end of the court and maybe offensively I feel like he hadn't been as involved lately but certainly it's somebody that you have a ton of value for but getting to your Tony Parker take about that not being good I'm, I'm kind of with you on that like it's it's not ideal no to have that old of a point guard for you to rely on him so heavily the way you are like i'm i'm fascinated with the way that tony parker has played because this was not a guy that gave you that type of production last season and i'm cool with it like i i think everybody loves the way that tony parker is playing and we can all commend it it's just not ideal for you to rely on tony parker to be your saving grace when kimba's not hitting because tony has been your clutch guy we Mm -hmm. talked about it yesterday we've talked about it a few times on the pod he gets to his elbow and he's going to hit that even in clutch moments and he gets to the rim it's he's always been fantastic at scoring in the paint the footwork is filthy when he gets to the paint too i said that he undressed Mitchell Robinson down there that was a lot of fun to see him do that against the New York Knicks but I agree with you that it would be nice to see somebody step up on a consistent basis because Tony has stepped up very consistently in those clutch time moments we saw Malik Monk do it maybe once against Milwaukee once against Miami at the beginning of the year and then we haven't seen anybody else really for you to rely on to be clutch besides Kimba and besides Tony Parker so I'm with you that Tony Parker, it's it's less than ideal. It's it's great that you're getting it from him, but how about somebody else step up for a change? That would be pretty nice. That would be nice, and I would think that would be the next step step in Jeremy Lamb's maturation, or at least I would hope so. Because at this point, I'm kind of concerned here, guys. I am really kind of just of anybody stepping up yes. at this point, right? Like, yeah, I I, I want to see somebody step up as well. And there's a lot of season to go, of course. And the Hornets, they look good right now, and hopefully, they can take care of a reeling Detroit Pistons team, which has been a roller coaster season for them. They got off to a fantastic start, then they got off to a little stretch where the Hornets beat them. That was mm-hmm. a stretch where Detroit was struggling. They got off to another very good stretch, and now they've lost five straight. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, and to a a much bigger degree, right? Like Charlotte will give you two in a row each way. Detroit will play with your emotions even more so where they will give you five in a row each way. I think I'd rather have the Hornets way of living. Like, I don't know if I can go through. No, no. Yeah, you would rather have the five the wins five. and the five losses? Yes. I don't, the five losses, though. I mean, that's, I can't do the five we losses every hey, 10 games. Think about how close we came to five losses. I know, but the Hornets, they find a way. Like, three is the biggest streak that we've had, and it was a losing streak, but they find themselves at 500. Detroit just might find themselves at 500, but they're going to go the five and five route. I'd rather have the Hornets 
Hornets way, but either either way, I mean, both of these teams, it, it hasn't been a roller coaster for Charlotte by any stretch because they've been pretty consistent in getting 500, mm-hmm. but Detroit gets there the roller coaster way. So hopefully, if the Hornets can put another loss to the Detroit Pistons. Again, that's 2-0 and against Detroit. Those tiebreakers are going to be big, man. Those tiebreakers are going to be everything, especially considering that the team that I thought wasn't going to be competing for much is starting to wake up. And you do feel good about a Hornets team that enters this juggernaut part of the schedule with a 2 nothing lead over Miami and mm-hmm. a 2 nothing lead over Detroit. And yep. that would be a very good feeling. They haven't played Washington yet, so that's another team that you're going to be in the mix for for one of those last spots. But that if they can get a win against Detroit, I think that, that makes you feel better than even a normal win. Maybe not against Denver because it showed you they can beat a really good team. But to That have, was the first really good win sure, they had. Sure. But if you were to win against Detroit and have a two-game lead on them at that point, you probably you play them two other times in the season. That'd be nice. That yes. would certainly be nice. We are coming to you from the Gittimer.com studios in Uptown Charlotte. If you're in sales and need help, visit Gittimer.com today to learn how they can help you do the one thing you want to do, and that's make more sales. We have a Patreon question from Dwayne up next. It's the Lockdown Hornets podcast on the Lockdown Podcast Network. This is Locked on Hornets. To start this off, we all know about LeBron and how he built a school and it got a lot of fanfare. By the time 2019 closes, Bismack Biombo is planning to have six schools. Take that, LeBron. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Thanks, as always, to all of our listeners, and thanks, as always, to all of our Patreon members. And again, you can go to patreon.com slash LOH if you want to join our Patreon member club and listen to the Locked on Hornets podcast and find some other things that we put out there that maybe everybody else will not have exposure to. Dwayne, a member of Patreon, he writes to us, quote, is it just me or are the Hornets more concerned with getting back on defense than offensive rebounds? On most occasions, all five players are already running back down on defense before the shot hits the rim. And so you see this. I remember playing high school ball. You had some of the guys that as soon as the shot went up, you would Mm -hmm. go back on defense and maybe a couple of these big guys would stay down to try to get some offensive rebounds. But it does seem like the rebounding percentage is down. And according to Cleaning the Glass, they are ranked 22nd in offensive rebounding percentage, and that's down from 14th last season mm-hmm. yeah Dwight Howard Dwight yeah. Howard will gobble up some rebounds for you if he's going to hurt the offense the good thing he's going to do is he's going to be an elite rebounder for you so he is good in that regard and you see a drop-off without Dwight on this team yes Hornets are 22nd in allowing transition plays and 27th in points plays per loud or play allowed excuse me so not doing great in that area either for the past five seasons nada they've been top 10 in frequency of transition plays off live rebounds so with the hornets as it has been in the past size and athleticism are an issue in offensive rebounding mkg zeller and miles they are in there as players that should have green lights to crash the glass. So if you have a couple of those guys maybe that can go after the rebound and maybe put some other guys on the defensive side, maybe that would make some sense. But what do you think about the lack of offensive rebounding and the emphasis on getting back on defense? I think it makes sense. I honestly think it makes sense considering how bad they get beat on the defensive glass. Let's look at that. Like If you're wanting guys to crash the glass more, I get it if you're very successful at it. But unfortunately, for what they're doing right now, they can't even keep people off their own glass. Now, granted, 
Cody Zeller had a hell of a game in New York crashing the glass offensively because he created a lot of second possessions in that game. The problem is that's not sustainable against a team that knows what they're doing on the glass. And New York is not one of them. I'm not sure what they do well, and neither are they. I mean, quite honestly, if we're going to start looking at guys that want to attack the glass, maybe you want Cody doing it outside of that. I'm not sure you want anyone else. I'm sure I'm not sure you want anybody else really cr- crashing the offensive board. MKG is such a good rebounder, and so is Miles Bridges. I, I want those guys. I think going after it because I think you take away a significant skill set from them if you don't have them crash the glass so hard. Like how many times has Miles salvaged a second opportunity True. just because of his effort alone, and because the guy can sky and he can and he has 110 percent effort out there every time, and that's exactly the same thing with MKG. Maybe not the sky ability, but MKG. I remember before you had Dwight Howard in that healthy season prior to Dwight. Mm-hmm. I mean, MKG is one of the best rebounding three or two. I mean, even small forwards, I should say. Yeah. And well, now four guy, but back back a couple of years ago, I shouldn't say two. I don't know why I said that. When you go back to small forward, you know, MKG was one of the better uh, rebounding small forwards in the entire NBA. And so if you have MKG and Miles Bridges both crashing like that, I think I'm cool with that. Maybe having everybody else get back because defensively, they certainly have showed an emphasis with Borrego, and he mentioned that at the beginning of the season. But I, I'm kind of with you. I like getting back on defense. I just put in more importance of, of in that than getting offensive rebounds. But I would like to see those skill sets utilized by MKG and Miles Bridges. I, I, w- I get it. I really do. But considering how porous this defense can get at times yeah, and how easily exposed they are at times, especially at the center position when Cody's out, when you have a guy like, Frank out there or Billy out there and you're seeing that one five high pick and roll. Maybe those guys get back. <laughs> yeah, those guys get back. Well, well, Billy, Billy, you need to, but Frank needs to get back, obviously, because he's never been a fantastic rebounder, even at his size of being close to seven feet. And you mentioned defensively how porous they've been. You're right. Before those two games, there was 119 given a piece to Utah and New Orleans. They've finally found a little they, they played very good defense against the Denver Nuggets and against the Knicks. You know, at the end of that game, it was kind of a. Uh, it, it was it was dicey. It was dicey in the third quarter, at the beginning of the fourth, and then Frankie Smokes fouled out, and that really helped them because he was on fire for a little while in that game. But you're right. I mean, defensively, they did play a lot better the last two games. So we'll see if they can continue that. We shall see. Yep. All right. Thanks again for joining us here on the Locked On Hornets podcast. It's on the Locked On Podcast Network. Uh, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Locked On Hornets. You can subscribe to Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Overcast. Wherever you get your podcast, just search Locked On Hornets. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Hopefully, Doug can join us, but we'll be back with you tomorrow here again on the Locked On Podcast Network.